encouraging way to start our assembly this morning. <coughs> mm. It's always a pleasure to be here with you this morning, and I'm excited uh, to get to talk to you guys about a really important text, I think. But let me preface it this way. Uh, if you haven't noticed, the Old Testament is super long, like just a really huge chunk of the Bible. And there is a whole lot of ink spilled over the Israelite monarchy. Like, if you added up 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles together, it's almost as long as the whole New Testament. So, like, that's a lot of words, a lot of themes, a lot of chapters. And if you're anything like me, that's a little bit overwhelming because these big books are a little bit hard to get a handle on. And so it's a little bit easier, I guess, because it's a story. Like, if there were big books like that, like Jeremiah, for example, is prophecy. It's a little bit harder even than, than these large books. But, like, you, you get big books like this and you start to say, okay, how do I get a handle on a book this large? And I've, I've got a, a few questions like that. The first of them is this. So this giant section of, of text, like, why, why does it have to be so big? So, for example, uh, Samuel through Kings tells the story starting with Saul and ending with uh, Babylon taking Judah. And then Chronicles just, like, restarts and tells the story again. And, like, I guess when Jesus comes to earth, you know, it makes sense that we would tell that story four different ways and four different times in four Gospels. But, like, why do I need to read twice that Amaziah challenged Joash to a battle and Joash is like, you're a thistle, and that's like some sick burn. We're reading about it twice. Like, what, why did I need to know that? And uh, the second is, like, what, what am I supposed to get from these books? Like, what is the point? Is it just that I'm supposed to have a bunch of Bible trivia about some obscure stuff? Or is the author trying to tell me something urgently? Like, what do I need to understand from these books? Now, before you zone out thinking I'm just going to be talking about redactional criticism and hermeneutics of the text. Don't, because today's lesson is a character study. We're going to be looking at one character, one guy, who I think if we understand the point of his story in both the Samuel King's narrative and in the Chronicles narrative, then we will grasp basically the theme of the book. That this one guy, a very underrated character in my opinion, uh, if we understand his story, we can understand these books. And so you start to think, like, who might that guy be? Uh, probably first on your mind, you might think David. And David is an excellent guest. And uh, if you were talking about Chronicles, David is, he is a key to understanding the book. But not as much in the purposes of the Samuel King's narrative. So you start to think about other kings that we like. Uh, think about Hezekiah or uh, jo Joash. Oh, that's a good one. Um, but no, none of those guys either. Uh, maybe Ahab or Elijah, someone who's in that kind of earlier phase. But no, none of those guys either. The guy I want to talk about today is Manasseh. So Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, the pretty critical character. And like I said, I think he has... If we understand his story, we can understand both of these texts. But more importantly for us, I think he has very valuable, very important things to teach us today uh, about ourselves, about the God that we serve, and as we interact with people out in the world, 
lost souls or people who we see among us in our flock who are starting to lose their faith. Uh, I think Manasseh's story has powerful implications for uh, messages we need to know when we're dealing with situations like that. So if you will open to 2 Kings 21, we're going to start in the king's narrative. So uh, our lesson today is called Manasseh Finding Keys in the Story of a Sinner. And we'll read in 2 Kings 21, uh, and then I'll start throwing my points up here. So 2 Kings 21 We'll read verses 1 through 6 to start. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, And he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burnt his son as an offering and used fortune-telling and omens, dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. So right here in the introduction to Manasseh's story, here's what we learn about Manasseh. He's the son of Hezekiah, but he does not walk in the ways of Hezekiah. I mean, Hezekiah was an amazing king. And he tore down a bunch of the idols and really worked to purify uh, the land of Judah. But Manasseh cared very little for that. Manasseh... Uh, just undid a lot of the things his father did, and he made evil so much worse. I mean, he's burning his children in sacrifices to Canaanite gods. He's building altars to other gods in, the, in God's temple. Like, it's ridiculous the audacity that Manasseh has to do some of the evil things that he does, which is why uh, the, in, the indictment against him is so strong. And as we keep reading, we're going to see even more uh, terrible things that he does. Breaking up in verse 7, And the carved images of Asherah that he had made, he set in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land that I gave to their fathers, if only they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen, and Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. So in verses 7 and 8, the bulk of that is kind of a quotation about what God's hopes were for the people of Israel. He wanted to give them a land, a land where they could stay, and live and not be moved and not be displaced, that they could be there. And the only thing they had to do is follow what God said. But 
they just, they messed it up really bad. They didn't listen in verse 9. And Manasseh led them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had driven out. They're, they're even worse than the nations that had previously been there. This is not a good situation for Judah. And Manasseh is at least uh, in part guilty for leading the people down this road of idolatry and evil. And so something has to be done about this. I mean, we can't have this sort of evil going on in God's land. I mean, they're mucking up God's good name. They're just not listening. They're not being the people they're supposed to be. And something has to happen. I mean, Manasseh is killing his kids in fire to a Canaanite deity. Like something had to be done about that. And so something is done. Let's read verses 10 through 16. The Lord said by his servants, the prophets, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed all these abominations and has done things more evil than all the Amorites did who were before him and has made Judah also to sin with idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria, the plumb line of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it out and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies. And they will become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day that their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides the sin that he made Judah to sin so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So here's where we find our first point and what I would argue in a moment is the point of the book of Kings. And that is that sin has to be punished. There has to be justice for the sins of the people. And in this case, uh, is because of Manasseh and the way that he led the people to do idolatry and to sin that God says specifically in verse 11, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done all this in verse 12, therefore, thus says the Lord of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that everyone who hears their ears will tingle. So he's saying, because of what Manasseh did, I have to destroy Israel. Like, I tried to be nice. Like, I had this plan, okay, that you were going to come here that you were going to dwell in this land, it was going to be great. And no one was going to make you move. You were going to set your foot there and you were going to stay. You were going to have this land. This was God's plan. All they had to do was listen. And he said, you didn't do that. You, you shut your ears. And as a result, I, I tried to be nice, but now, now we have to be mean, okay? Because now for all of your sin, something has to happen. And so he's going to bring upon them the measuring line of Samaria. That just as Samaria was destroyed by uh, the Assyrians, so also the Babylonians are going to come and take Judah. That because of the sin, and specifically in this text, because of the sin of Manasseh, the people are going to be brought into captivity. Now, I want to put a caveat on this because some of you are thinking, I mean, can it really just be Manasseh? And no, it's not just Manasseh. But Manasseh typifies the evil of Judah. That, as it says here, they've been doing this evil from the day they left Egypt. That this has been a constant theme. But if you want one guy 
who represents the evil and the reason that Judah got brought into captivity, it's Manasseh. I mean, we see it here in First King, or Second Kings. We'll see it also in Jeremiah 15. He says, I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth because of what Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. That Manasseh, he's not the only one who's to blame, but he is certainly the poster child for the sin and the rebellion of the people of Israel. Now, why is this an important thing for them to know? Like, why is this the point of the book of Kings? Why is this that sin will be punished? Why is this so critical for them to understand? Well, put, your shoes, put yourself in the shoes of the children of Israel reading the book of Kings. So, you're in Babylon. And in that time, uh, if your nation had been defeated by another nation, uh, you're, you're, basically it's like, Kind of like their gods were like teams. And, uh, you know, if Alabama beats Arkansas, well, I guess Alabama's better this year. And in, in the same kind of way, like if Chemosh beats Yahweh, then I guess Chemosh might be better. Like there's this idea that the idols and the gods that they serve, they're constantly fighting. And whoever's the better one, their god wins. And so if you are brought into, an, you're a captive in another land, and you had all this trust, you had all these promises from your god, and now suddenly you've been beaten and you're like, what happened? Like, I thought we had the best God. I thought he was amazing. And God says, yes, I am sovereign. I am in control. And the reason that you are in captivity is not because I lost, but because I let you be brought into captivity. And the reason for that is because sin has to be punished. And if you look through your history, all of your kings, even the good ones, have failed to uphold the standard that God had for his people. And so sin had to be punished. They had to go into captivity because they had to learn this lesson. And so it's a powerful thing for us to know and to remember that sin must be punished. We cannot just go on sinning forever. And there are people who believe that, whether actively or just passively by the way they're living their life, that there is never going to be a punishment for sins, that there's never going to be, that it's never going to catch up to them, all the things that they're doing. But God says, absolutely, it will. And so if you or someone you know is walking through life believing that the sins that they are committing are not going to catch up to them, then we need to hear the story of kings. We need to hear the story of Manasseh and understand that sin has consequences. And this reflects back we sing about the glory of God and to God be the glory. But this also reflects to the glory of God. Because as I mentioned, look, Manasseh is burning his children in the fire to Molech. Manasseh is leading Israel to rebel against God. Like these are not passive crimes, not victimless crimes. These are things that are having real impacts in very, very bad ways on people. And something had to be done about that. And God says, I'm the one who's going to do something about that. God is the one who's going to fix those problems. And so Manasseh and kings as a whole teaches us that God punishes sin and that sin has consequences. And we can't keep sinning forever. Expect it not to catch up to us. But Chronicles is a different story. Turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Second Chronicles 33, and uh, we could read the first nine verses, but they're like 90% identical to the first nine verses of 1 uh, Kings. 
or 2 Kings 21. So we'll just skip all that, and we'll start in verse 10. In 2 Chronicles 33.10, it says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. This is an incredible thing to say about Manasseh because remember, the story of kings is that Manasseh, or at least everything that Manasseh stands for, is the reason that the people are in captivity. But Chronicles tells a very different story. You have seen the same facts, the same story. He says, it's never too late to turn back to God. Manasseh, the guy who typified all the evil that Judah had done, he is also the perfect person to show in Chronicles that even after all the things you've done, even after murdering your children, even after leading an entire nation astray, that you can still turn back to God. You are still redeemable. And that is an incredible thing for us to know because we feel irredeemable sometimes, don't we? I know people in the world feel this way, and I know sometimes I feel this way too, that like sin has a grasp on me that I can't break free from, that I've done too much and it hurts, and I, I don't know if I can come back from this. But the story of Manasseh is that you can never go too far down the road of sin, that God cannot bring you out, that God cannot redeem you, God cannot rescue you, because God is all-powerful. And Chronicles has to tell this story because in contrast to kings where the people are in captivity and they needed to be told, needed to understand why they were there, Chronicles is to a different group of people. Chronicles is to a group of people who are, are past that phase. Now they've started to come back into the land of Judah from captivity. But there's, I mean, 70 years of captivity as history. There's all of this sin in their past. They had to get taken by the Babylonians to be punished for their sins. And there's this question, this lingering question. How do we come back from this? Like there's, we've done so much. We've messed up so badly. How do we come back from this? And Chronicles answers that story with, a book, with the story of Manasseh, with many other stories, but with the theme verse of Chronicles, which is 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. As we look in 2 Chronicles here, uh, in the story of Manasseh, in verse 12, it says, he humbled himself greatly before the God of his father. So, humble themselves. In verse 12 and in verse 13, it says he entreated the favor of the Lord. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty, that he humbled himself and he prayed. We don't have an explicit place where he seeks his face, but in verse 15, he took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he threw them outside the city. That all of these things that Manasseh had done, 
where Hezekiah destroyed all the altars and Manasseh brought them all back. Now Manasseh is undoing the stuff that he did. He's tearing down all the altars. He's fixing the problems that he created. He's turning from his wicked ways. And so Manasseh, just as he typified the sin of Israel, just as he shows why they're in captivity, Manasseh also gives us a plan, gives us a road to come back from our sin, to come back from all of the trouble that we've created. And so we, we need this story as we go talk to people in the world who are concerned that, they, that God can't rescue them, that they have so much sin that they can't get around it. We have to show them this story and many others that show that God is kind of a master of situations that can't be gotten around. I mean, think about the children of Israel. They're leaving Egypt. They're standing at the banks of the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's army is coming after them. And there's, there's no way out of this. I mean, Pharaoh's army is going to kill them. They, there's nowhere to go. There's just a sea. And then God opens up the sea. Ungetaroundable situation, but God makes a way. You think about Daniel. Daniel got thrown in a lion's den. Like, there's, there's no way out of this. I mean, you're, you're in there with lions. You're going to be there all night. Like, you can't fight them off. They're lions. But God shuts the lion's mouths. Ungetaroundable situation, but God rescues Daniel. Death. I mean, death had this grip on us that when we die, that's it. And then Jesus opened up a path through the grave, and suddenly there's this situation that we could not get around, but Jesus made a way. And sin is the same thing. I mean, we have this weight of sin, and we have no way to cleanse ourselves from it. And then Jesus comes along, and he dies for our sins, and he shows us a path, and he gives us a way to get rid of our sins. And so sin, I mean, it feels sticky. It feels difficult. It feels like we can't get around it. But God shows in so many ways, and here in the story of Manasseh, that no matter how much we've done, no matter how much we've messed up, God is still able to rescue us from that. And that is a powerful lesson for us, one that we we have to hear, we have to keep remembering each time we feel weak, that God is able to bring us out from our sinful situation. But I wish I, I, wish I could stop there. But I, I have to say that uh, there's, there's a, a little bit of an unfortunate caveat that comes with this. And, uh, and that is, look, sometimes when we repent, when we say, okay, I'm turning from that life we want to like call the shots and be like, okay, well, I said I was sorry, so now none of the problems that I've heaped up on myself are going to follow me. That's not what happens to Manasseh. So Manasseh, let's read, uh, well, Manasseh, he destroys the idols. He tries to undo a lot of the things he does, and he's successful in that in large part. But as we look in 17, nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. So like, it's a little bit better, but still they're not, the people of Israel aren't worshiping God the way that God wanted them to be, asked them to be. And most critically for Manasseh, in verses 20 through 22, we'll see that his family and his lasting reputation are still shot completely by the actions that he did before he turned from his sin. In verse 20, we'll pick up. So Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his house 
and Ammon his son reigned in his place. Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh his father had done. Ammon sacrificed to all the images that Manasseh his father had made and served them. So, especially verse 22, I think, really brings home the gravity of his previous sin. Because even though Manasseh had this incredible repentance, this incredible transformation, he he entreated the favor of the Lord, he worked really hard to undo all the things he did, that his son was still terrible. And that's really sad. And past that, I mean, Manasseh, he did all these incredible things. Like at the end of his life, he worked so hard to undo all the evil that he had done. But still, as it talks about Ammon, his son, it says that he walked in the ways of Manasseh. That the way of Manasseh is still evil and rebellion. That's what Manasseh is going to be remembered for. And that's a tragedy because he worked so hard. But the legacy still follows him. And finally, in verse 22... Ammon sacrificed to all the idols that Manasseh, his father, had made and served them. That Manasseh is going to go to the grave knowing that the idolatry that his son is involved in, that the idols that his son is worshiping are idols that he built. And that, it's sobering. It reminds us of the incredible cost of sin. But I think it also does something else because it reminds us to focus on the grace that God has offered. Because here's the thing. If we're coming to God, if, if we are seeking from him something other than God himself, he's going to know, and we're probably not going to get it. I, I, I'll explain this a little bit. So a lot of people are woken up to religion and to Jesus when they see their children start to uh, descend into depravity and such. And... Uh, so they, they're like, okay, well, maybe if I go follow the Lord now or if I turn my life around, it's, it's going to help. And maybe it will. But it didn't work for Manasseh. I mean, his son still turned out awful. And a lot of people, you know, they think, ah, oh, people think I'm terrible. Maybe if I, maybe if I try this Jesus thing, that it's, it's really going to solve all my problems. But no, I mean, Manasseh was still thought of as a terrible person. And he, went, he, he died with that legacy. But here's what Manasseh did get. And as we zoom back out from the the sadness and back into the the good things, here's what Manasseh did get, okay? When he was a captive, when he was powerless, when he said, there is no one but God to rescue me, he cried out to God. And God rescued him from something that Manasseh could not get himself out of. That God saved him when there was no other course. When Manasseh realized he humbled himself, God got him out. In the same way, we can be a captive to sin. We can be in the situation that we cannot get out of. And we have to say, God, you're the only one who can solve this. And in those times, God will come. He will rescue us from the sin that we cannot escape from. And so Manasseh is this story that gives us two sides. He gives us the side of hope and he gives us the side of sobriety. That sin has consequences. That sin will be punished. But at the same time, it's never too late to follow God. Never too late to turn to him. And so as we take these stories and we go out in the world and we remember these in times where we're tempted, but especially in times when we see people 
who are weak, or people who are discouraged uh, from following the Lord because they feel like they're too far gone. We have this story of Manasseh and so many others to remind them that God is able to rescue them. God can do the impossible. For that, we're very thankful. We'll now be dismissed to classes.